The texts tell us that the Buddha grew up in a palace, and actually in three palaces, with every kind of luxury that was known at the time. And the Buddha recognized in his life that even in the midst of all this luxury and wealth and comfort and ease and power and authority and job security and family and (laughs) everything a person could possibly want. (laughs) He recognized that he still, in the midst of all this, experienced stress and conflict and inner turmoil and dissatisfaction and angst and an inability to be at ease within himself. It's no wonder we all feel <laughs> that. <laughs> so the Buddha, the Buddha decided. He made he made the decision. He set the intention to set off on a quest to see if he could find a way of living in this world that was free of all this inner stuff. And he spent a number of years wandering around North India, studying with different teachers, doing different practices, different places with different people. And he came to some insights, some realizations, some awakening that allowed him to declare that he had indeed come to such understanding and that he had managed to free himself of all this inner turmoil. And and he spent he spent the next forty years or so trying to communicate, trying to communicate this to communicate to people in a way that they could come to know all this, to know this, to know this experience for themselves. <coughs> and fortunately for us, what the Buddha discovered, his insights and his teachings have been passed down. And so they're still, still accessible and still highly relevant. And in fact, um, is just in very recent years that scientific research is finally coming around to agreeing with what the Buddha discovered 2,500, more than 2,500 years ago and, and, and presenting it as though it's some great new discovery. Amongst his, amongst his discoveries in, in, in his exploration, in his, his inner exploration, was that a lot of his thoughts and actions were unskillful, not helpful, and in fact, sometimes actually harmful. And um, I would guess that probably most, maybe all, maybe all of us have recognized in the last two days, that many of our thoughts and our actions are unskillful, unhelpful, and sometimes harmful. One, one place where, where 
stands out is in self-judgment and self-criticism. And we see ourselves judging and criticizing ourselves and we feel how it's harmful. We feel the harm that it causes ourselves. And yet it persists. And so the Buddha, the Buddha noticed this also and he, and he, he looked more, more deeply into this and, and, he, and he recognized that, um, that these unskillful thoughts and actions arise from, he, he recognized and he presented that these unskillful thoughts and actions arise from three conditions or three forces. And these three forces he, he labeled as greed, hatred, and delusion. And so, so the unskillful thoughts and the unskillful actions come from and, and, and come quite unconsciously because usually these, these, these thoughts and actions aren't intentional. Usually they just kind of come upon us. Have you noticed that? It's not that we sit there and say, okay, now I'm going to judge myself. <laughs> now I'm going to beat myself up. And now I'm going to do something to hurt somebody. It's not intentional. It just, it just kind of comes out of our unconscious habits, tendencies, conditionings. And, um, and, and it comes out of, the Buddha said, out of these three forces. So the, this force of greed, greed is a, greed is a, a pretty, strong, pretty strong word. And, but, but I think if we take the, the sense of, of greed, um, uh, we take it as, as having the sense of kind of self-centered desires. Wanting to get things for me wanting to hold on to things for me. It's about building up me and protecting me and defending me and making me into something. And, and greed shows in relation to many things. The, these, these, these desires show in relation to many things. It shows in relation to the objects that we possess. It shows in relation to relationships. It shows in relationship to foods that we like. It shows in relationship to ideas and opinions and views and beliefs. All these things that we, we take up and we hold on to and we protect. It shows in self-identity, my identity of who I am, and I hold on to that idea of who I am. I'm this kind of person. I'm like this. I'm not like that. So this, this greed shows in, in this, this accumulating, acquiring, getting, holding on to, wanting to get, these desires to, to get things that, that are based on me, this self-centeredness. And hatred, hatred is also a pretty strong word. And hatred also comes in degrees. And, and, and a degree of hatred is simply aversion, not wanting, not liking, wanting to get rid of the things that we don't like. We see things about ourselves. We see, we experience things in the, in the sitting. We experience unpleasant, uncomfortable things, and we want to get rid of them. 
and we and, and sometimes we're 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 driven by these forces and again most of the time i think unconsciously and and delusion 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 is is confusion delusion is misunderstanding Delusion is believing things to be different than they are. And when our actions and our thoughts come from these three forces, I think probably most of the time they are quite unskillful, unhelpful, and possibly harmful. And I think I think if we if we take a look within ourselves and look at our our thoughts and actions and look at how these three forces are working i i think we would probably agree with the buddha's the buddha's observation and so the so the the buddha the buddha recognized these these three forces giving rise to the unskillful the harmful and and he when he when he came to his his awakening his his liberation he he recognized that the awakening the liberation was an ending of the forces of these it was the ending of acting from the forces of these and so and so an ending of of acting from places of greed hatred and delusion And and I think I think it's maybe helpful, maybe important to 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 recognize that that being free from these forces doesn't necessarily mean that they never appear. So to be free from the forces of greed doesn't necessarily mean that greed never appears to us. What it means is that there's there's the clarity and there's the wisdom that when it does arise it doesn't propel our lives we don't need to act it's recognizing and knowing that we don't need to act from that now i may come back to this a little bit later so the so the Buddha recognized and and came to came to came to these understandings these realizations and he came to know the ending of the acting from these places and and this was one of one this was one aspect of his his liberation and the Buddha was it was able to go on and actually present a path and this is one of the one of the great strengths of his understandings of his insights and of his teaching was that he was able to present a path and he was able to say okay here's here's a here's an outline of a path if you follow this path take this path and and really explore it you can come to the same realizations and the same liberation an ending of these unskillful unhelpful and harmful thoughts and actions and this this path which the buddha referred to as the eightfold path because it has eight parts to it 
is is really um, a part of the, the the foundation of the teachings and of the practice. And one aspect, and I, I want to speak a little bit about a few aspects of these. I won't do the whole all eight of them, but just I just want to touch a little bit on a, on a few of them. And one of these one of these eight is mindfulness. Surprise, <laughs> mindfulness. And the, and the Buddha put tremendous emphasis on the importance of cultivating mindfulness, because mindfulness is the mindfulness is is the quality that allows for the exploration. Without mindfulness, we do, we we can't look into how things are. Without mindfulness, we just continue going about unconsciously acting from greed, hatred, and delusion. Mindfulness becomes the antidote to that. Mindfulness is, is, is an awareness of when these forces are showing. And mindfulness is what allows us to know how things actually are, to cut through the delusion, the delusion of me, defending myself, protecting myself, needing to get rid of what's unpleasant and uncomfortable, needing to get, to acquire, to accumulate. So mindfulness becomes the foundation of the practice. And, and in, the, in, the, in, the, in the retreat, in, in, the, in the early days of a retreat, in the, in the, the beginning of a retreat, a lot of the instructions and a lot of the practice has the intention of developing, cultivating, strengthening mindfulness so that it becomes a real foundation for the interest and the curiosity that we've been speaking about. And it's very easy in the early days of a retreat to, um, to get impatient oh, enough of this mindfulness of the breathing. Let's get on to something more interesting. <laughs> I want something more exciting. I want something, I want more to do. But it's, it's very important, you know, some, in, 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 some, some, with some teachers, you might spend years just on mindfulness of breathing before there's even any mention of anything else. And the intention with it, as I said, is, is to really strengthen and cultivate this, this ability to be present and to be open, to be open to what is, so that we can really come to understanding, to very deep and profound understanding, not ideas about or thoughts about, but real experiential understanding. So patience is a really important quality to cultivate as a support for the, the strengthening of the mindfulness. So mindfulness, and we've, we've spoken quite a bit about, about mindfulness and I think put a lot of emphasis on mindfulness. So mindfulness is, is one aspect of, of this Eightfold Path. And, and I might mention that actually mindfulness is the seventh of the eight. <laughs> Um, so, so we, we, we cultivate mindfulness 
in order to have a foundation and to have a, an ability to meet with what's showing in life. And again, that ability to meet with what's showing and to open to it, to be present with it, that's what allows us to come to the understanding. The understanding that will liberate us. The first, the first aspect of the path Actually, it's, it's, it's very interesting because we, we probably tend to think of mindfulness as being at the beginning. We have to start with mindfulness. And, and in a sense, it's true. There does, there does need to be that foundation of mindfulness. But so it's interesting to see that what the Buddha puts at the first of the path is actually what we would expect, I think most of us would expect to be at the end. And what, what he puts at the beginning of the path is understanding. We begin with, with right understanding. We begin with wisdom. And, and um, probably some of us, a lot of us, maybe all of us, during the course of the meditation would look and we see ourselves judging ourselves and criticizing ourselves and not being able to be settled and full of aversion and uh, and all these and, and full of anger and impatience and, and, and we wonder well, where's the wisdom in this and and, and I, I would say that that just the fact that we're here and we're noticing that noticing all of that and still here that's the wisdom that's the wisdom. The wisdom, the wisdom is the, the willingness, the willingness and the courage to try the unconventional. The willingness to, to explore in a way that isn't so common and isn't so highly acceptable and accepted. And yet here we are, willing to, to look at ourselves, to look at our lives in a different way. The wisdom, the wisdom is in the recognition that, that the old habitual ways, the, the more common ways, the ways of, of acquiring more things and having more luxury and more wealth and more comfort and more ease and more of this and more of that, doesn't work. The wisdom is in, in recognizing that the mind can't always figure out everything. And so the wisdom is in the willingness to try something different. And here we are, and that's what we're doing. And so we come here with the wisdom. The second aspect, second aspect of the path, we've, we've all, Brad and I have both mentioned it, and Brad spoke a little bit about it last night. And um, the second, the second part of the eight is intention. And I'd like to speak just a little bit more about intention this evening. Intention. What is intention? The Buddha had a 
a lovely, a lovely definition of intention. He said that intention of, of, of right intention or wise intention. He said that intention is an inclining of the heart in a particular direction. Lovely description. Inclining of the heart in a particular description, in a particular direction. And, and, and what, what, I, what I feel in that, and, and I think what's important with intention is, is to, to see that in, intention isn't just an idea. It's an inclining of the heart. It's, 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 an intention is, is something that has to be really important for us. That sense of importance, perhaps even almost a sense of yearning. The heart's yearning. And with intention, very important, and we've, we've both mentioned it's very important for us to look in the context of being here, what is my intention? What is it that's so important that's brought me here? And to keep reminding ourselves of that, it's very easy to forget about that. Very often people, people will, come, will come to me on a retreat and they'll say, oh, I've been meditating for X number of years, five years, 10 years, and I've, I've just kind of lost the the energy, and I, I do it, I go about doing it, and I do it every day, but it just doesn't have the energy. And I'll just say to them, why did you begin meditating? What was it that brought you to meditation initially? And they'll reflect on it and say, oh yeah. And then the, the interest and the enthusiasm comes back, and the, and the energy comes, and the, and, and the, the yearning the intention becomes more clear. It's so important, that intention. And the intention and an inclining of the heart, inclining of the heart in a particular direction. And um, some, of us, some of us will notice, or have noticed perhaps in the, in, in the meditation, when the body starts to incline, <laughs> It tends to keep going, doesn't it? <laughs> and and this, is, this is a wonderful thing about intention. Intention is an inclining. And just, just the act of inclining, just the simple act of having a clarity of intention will tend to move us in that direction. And so the, the more clear the intention is, and the more the meaning is, the less effort it takes, the more ease there is. Because the, the intention itself has a power to carry us. It doesn't always carry us at the rate we'd like to go, and it's not always a direct route to where we want to go. But the intention itself has a power and the more clear the intention, the more inclining of the heart there is, the greater the tendency will be to move in that direction. And the intention is very important. 
And it may even be a good practice to, to begin each day, begin the, the first sitting of each day by reflecting on what's my intention. We can reflect on the intention for being here on the retreat in general. We can reflect on the intention for the day. We can reflect on the intention just for this sitting. We can reflect on the intention just for this moment. What's my intention in this moment? And see if the intention opens the heart to receive this moment, to receive this sitting, to receive this day, this retreat, in a way that isn't unskillful and unhelpful and harmful. The Buddha gave another definition, a more more specific definition of intention, of, of right intention or wise intention. He said that wise intention is the inclining of the heart in the direction of three qualities, three very specific qualities. And these three specific qualities that the the Buddha identified, the first one is renunciation. Renunciation. So the Buddha, of course, had grown up in the palaces with all this luxury and all this wealth and all this stuff, and he recognized that all of this still didn't bring him happiness. In fact, it brings dissatisfaction often. You know, we have all these things and then we have to take care of them, we have to pay all the bills for them, we have to invest a lot of time and energy into maintaining them. So, Renunciation, renunciation is simplicity, simplifying. The intention for simplifying. Last night Brad spoke about letting go. Letting go is such an important piece of this. Important piece of, of letting of, of renunciation. And so so an important part of the path is looking in our own lives and seeing what would it be useful to renounce? And I think it's important with renunciation and with letting go that it doesn't necessarily mean, sometimes it does, sometimes it's very skillful and very helpful, but it doesn't necessarily mean getting rid of renunciation and letting go is just not holding on. It's not not clinging, not grasping, not protecting and defending. We simplify through non-holding. And that non-holding is the letting go. And when we when we let go of something or someone, in that letting go, it sets us free and it sets the thing or the person free. And the thing could be, again, it could be a material object, it could be an idea, it could be a belief, it could be any number of things, it could be anything. And just that, that 
that moment, in that moment of letting go, is the release. The release, the release that's freeing. Renunciation. Renunciation. If, if, if in fact our interest is in this kind of freeing, this kind of liberation, renunciation is so important. It's important in that sense of, of letting go and the freeing in that. It's also important in the sense of simplifying our lives. If we just think of renunciation as simplifying, and we look at it and, and look in our lives, look at our lives, both on retreat and off retreat. And look at our lives and see, how can I simplify in a way that will make my life will bring more ease to my life. Not necessarily more comfort, but more ease, more ease of being, less stress, less conflict. And we need to have that as an intention. And the second and third, the, the, other, the other two intentions kind of, kind of go together. And they very much work together. And, and for the Buddha, these, these other two intentions were the intention for non-harming and non-ill will. Non-harming and non-ill will. So one thing that's interesting to see, uh, that I find interesting with these intentions, is that it's, it's nothing about intention to get good concentration, intention to, to, to get this, to get that intention to be able to focus on my breathing, intention to be able to sit still cross-legged on the floor. It's, it's, it's really about an intention for a way of being in the world, a way of being in the world within ourselves and in relation to others and in relation to the world. be in the world, to, to live in the world with, with renunciation. There's, there's just so much, so much coming to our consciousness about the, 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 the change in climate and the destruction of the environment and all this talk about, well, we'll just use biofuels and we'll do this and we'll do that. And, and, and it just really seems to me that the real answer is renunciation. Simplifying. And if we couple that with intention for non-harming, and we're really looking at how are we harming ourselves, how are we harming each other, how are we harming the environment, and really set this intention for, for non-harming, so that, so that the, intention, the intention brings up a real interest in, in investigating and inquiring and in moving ourselves in that direction. And as I said, just the, the, the intention itself, the clarity of the intention, will have some force in carrying us that way. Because the intention, the clarity of intention, raises our consciousness. It raises our awareness. And non-ill will, 
There's so much ill will in the world these days. Not just these days. Look back at the time of the Buddha even. If there wasn't ill will, he wouldn't have said it as an intention. It's the ill will between individuals, between countries, between different religious groups, different sects. Just so many areas where there's so much ill will and it causes so much harm. And so to set the intention for non-ill will. And that applies towards ourselves as well. We see ourselves judging and criticizing ourselves and being hard on ourselves. It's ill will. It's ill will towards ourselves. And if we're expressing that much ill will towards ourselves, it's inevitable that it's going to come out towards others as well. So to set that intention for non-ill will. And the intention for non-ill will will support non-harming. So the Buddha, the Buddha had these, these, three, these three intentions. And, and as I've mentioned, important that each one of us really reflects on and gives attention to and gives consideration to what's my intention? What's a wise, skillful intention? And it may be that we'll agree with the Buddha and see, oh yeah, this is really important. Or we may come up with other intentions, but the intention that we come up to has to be that inclining of the heart, something that we really believe in and really yearn for. And when that's, when that's present, then, then the interest and the energy and the, the, the curiosity and the, the investigation will just naturally flow out of that. Another aspect of the, of the Eightfold Path in a way seems to contradict this and, and in a way contradicts a lot of what we present in the instructions. So, so in, the, in, the, in the meditation with the mindfulness, in the mindfulness, we put a lot of emphasis on being, just being, not doing, allowing, spaciousness, openness, stillness, calmness. We use lots of different words to give a sense of not doing, of just being and just, just allowing things to happen, allowing things to unfold and being open to that, being present with that. And, and there's, there's great power in that. And, and, and one reason there's great power in that is because it brings balance to us. Because we've, we've had, in, in this culture, we, we get lots of training and we've had lots of practice in doing. And mostly we're very skilled at doing, but we're not so skilled at being. And so we tend to put a lot of emphasis on cultivating the ability to just be. In Asia, the teachers tend to put more <laughs> emphasis on doing because the Asians tend to be <laughs> kind of laid back and, <laughs> and easygoing. So the teachers say, do, do. <laughs> but in the West, 
We're good at that already. And, and, and also, I think, I think probably many of us have recognized that the doing doesn't bring us a lot of ease and peace. It just kind of cranks us up and lines us up and gets us going and brings more restlessness and agitation and, and, and anything but inner ease and peace. So a lot of emphasis on, on, just, on just being. And, and the, the intention, the setting of the intention and, and the, 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 the power of the intention to, to kind of carry us in a certain direction also lends itself to not doing. And just being open and allowing, we set the intention and then we just allow things to unfold. But I'd be willing to bet that all of us have had examples in our lives where there's been a very strong intention and it just hasn't happened. Intention alone very often isn't enough. Very often intention has to be combined with this other factor of the Eightfold Path, which is wise and skillful effort. And, and, and people in, the, in, the, in, the, in meditation retreats here in the West, we often get people kind of reacting to that. No, 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 I don't want to make effort. I, it's, it's not right. I need to just be. And, and the, 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 the tricky part of this, the secret here, is that it's not effort, it's right effort, skillful effort, wise effort. And, and, and the difficulty often is, is recognizing and knowing what is wise, what is skillful. And I, I would say that it's really for each one of us to look at our own situation, our own conditions, to really get in touch with where we're, where we're at right in this moment. and to decide for ourselves what's wise, what's skillful. What's supportive of the intention. Wise effort. The Buddha, the Buddha presented wise effort in a number of different forms. A number of different forms. And one, one form of wise effort is actually non-effort. One form of wise effort is, is just allowing things to unfold and just seeing what shows from that. And sometimes, and, and again, probably many of us have recognized this, sometimes it takes a considerable amount of effort to kind of come to a place of non-effort. It takes effort it often takes effort to, to cultivate the quality of, of mindfulness, of heartfulness, of steadiness, of stillness and spaciousness that then allows us to just, ah, to just settle and to, to really allow, to open, to just be. And so, so one type of right effort is, is the effort that's in this direction. This effort to come to non-effort. 
Another kind of, of effort, of right effort that, that the Buddha the Buddha talked about. And and, and again this is this is something that um, sometimes is seen as a no no in 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 meditation, and that's avoidance. We talk about opening to what whatever is showing, opening to what's showing, and allowing allowing things to be just as they are. And and yet the Buddha pointed out that at times it is wise to avoid certain things. He specifically said it's wise to avoid wild elephants and wild and wild dogs, bramble patches. <laughs> but uh, but sometimes sometimes these wild elephants are in the mind, aren't they? Sometimes the wild elephants are in the body. And sometimes it's skillful to just turn the attention away from. When we recognize these wild elephants in the mind, not to just sit there, okay, I just have to be with this and just open to this. <laughs> Sometimes it's skillful to just, you know, just turn the attention away. And in these, in these first days of the retreat, we've been really emphasizing turning the attention to the body. Turn the attention to the experience in the body. Turn away from these wild elephants of the mind the bramble patches in the mind. Come back to the body. And, and, and it is a kind of avoidance, but, but the avoidance can be skillful if it's done mindfully. And avoidance that's done, that's done mindfully is, is an avoidance, it's, it's a turning away, but not a rejecting or denying or trying to get rid of or thinking it shouldn't be here. It's just turning away because it's the wise thing to do. If I see that I'm getting caught, it's, it's like in the story Brad told last night, if I see I'm going to fall in the hole, I go around it. That's the wise avoidance. And sometimes this, the, the avoidance takes, takes the form of another, another kind of wise effort that the Buddha mentioned, and that's replacing. Replacing. And so if there, are, if there are thoughts running through the mind and, it, and, and, we, and it, it's obvious that it's getting us nowhere and it's really turmoil and we're being overwhelmed by it, just to direct the, the attention to some other thought. Change the thought. Think about something else. Think about non-harming. Think about non-ill will. Think about renunciation. Think about calmness. Just to, to change the thought patterns that are going through the mind. And again, this can be done mindfully. And mindfully means, it, you know, a mindful way of doing it might be to see, you see all this turmoil in the mind and all this stuff going on, and, and just to say, okay, I see you. I get it. Okay, you're there. It's okay. You can do what you need to do, but I'm going to do this. And so, it's, so it's, it's a skillful way of turning the attention away from what is unhelpful towards something that's skillful. Tomorrow we'll, tomorrow we'll introduce the, the metta practice, the practice of kindness and friendliness. And this is something that's skillful. 
when there's a difficult mind state and, and we see the unskillfulness of getting caught in it, then we can just turn the attention to metta, to kindness and friendliness. Sometimes in the body we get these difficult, difficult, unpleasant, uncomfortable pains in the body and the attention can so easily just get locked into it. And the body can be in a state, there can be a, a state, there can be a condition of body and it, it just kind of overwhelms and it, and it kind of clouds everything. And then it's, it's not just all my... My neck is really sore and painful and stiff, and it becomes, I'm sore and painful and stiff, and it gets generalized to all of me. And so a skillful way of, of being with that is to do a body scan, move the attention through the body and find somewhere that isn't painful. And then, and then we connect with the knowing that it's just the neck. It's not me. It's not all of me. So this is a skillful use of, of avoidance and of diverting the attention. And the, Buddha, the Buddha scholar spoke of skillful effort in terms of what he called using. And what he specifically meant by this was the skillful use of food, of clothing, and of shelter. To, to give attention to what we're eating and to eat in a way that's supportive of this investigation, this inquiry, this practice. And to, to give attention to our clothing and see, am I wearing clothing that keeps me just the right temperature so I'm not too cold and not too hot and, and, and there's some, some, some degree of, of comfort and ease that allows for the mindfulness that allows for that, the, the opening. And having appropriate shelter so that we're not sitting out in the rain or um, going and doing chikung out on the lawn in the fog and <laughs> the, the rain and, and so on. So, so the, 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 the skillful use of things. Okay, so, so all of these are forms of right effort. And, and, and really important to look, to look in our practice and to look within ourselves and, and see where am I maybe slipping into, too much into non-effort of just being. Just being can so easily slip into dullness and drowsiness. And dullness and drowsiness can very easily be confused for just being. Dullness and drowsiness can be a can be a very pleasant state to be in, can't it? There can be a lot of ease in just just being dull. It's very easy to, to slip into that and, and so to see what, what what effort might might be skillful here. So that there's so that there's a balance. There's a balance of being and doing. And so we don't get caught up in making a judgment, oh, it's all about being, or no, it's all about doing, or doing is bad, and being is good, and, and all these kinds of judgments. But, but there's, a, there's, a, there's a freedom. There's a freedom to, to find a balance, a harmony, to see when being is skillful, when doing is skillful. 
And it's this, this skillful use of energy, of effort, the skillful use of effort that will support the intention. Okay, so mindfulness, understanding or wisdom, intention and effort. These aspects, these aspects of the path that are all to be cultivated, to be developed. to be used in ways that are skillful, to be used in ways that hopefully, that hopefully support an opening of heart, body, mind, that does allow for the, the emerging and the knowing of the wisdom that truly does free us from these forces of greed, hatred, and delusion. So let's sit quietly together for a few minutes.